But now we turn to the biggest labor news of the past week. Last Tuesday, the Teamsters, which represent 340,000 UPS workers, reached a tentative contract agreement with the company just days before an August 1st strike deadline. Sorry, strike deadline. The union's leaders are calling the new five-year contract historic. Among the gains made by the UPS Teamsters are significant increases in starting wages for part-time preloaders, the end of a two-tier system for drivers, the end of forced overtime, and a commitment to install air conditioning in all UPS vans bought in 2024. The workers will be voting on the contract from August 3rd to the 22nd. The tentative agreement came after 20 years of concession-laden contracts negotiated by the union's old leadership. In 2021, the Teamsters voted into office a new national leadership that vowed to embrace a militant rank-and-file organizing strategy in their contract campaign. In recent months, UPS Teamsters and their supporters engaged in practice pickets across the country to put UPS on notice that the company would be crippled by strike if it did not reach a fair contract with the union. Here to talk more about this is Antonio Rosario, a 29-year UPS worker and an organizer with Local 804 in New York City, one of the most militant Teamsters locals in the country. Antonio, welcome to the Independent News Hour, or welcome back. Well, thank you, and thank you both for having me. I appreciate you, John and Amber. You know, uh, you guys are doing a great job, and uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Oh, well, thank you so much. So we touched it a little bit, but first off, tell us, tell us more about all that this contract encompasses and why it's so historic. Well, you know, it's the first time that we're actually, you know, instead of giving back, taking back, um, you know, there's a lot of historic gains here on this contract. I mean, uh, I would start just by talking about the two tier 22 Ford position that was created in 2018 that has been a real uh, problem for us and uh, created a lot of division amongst our workers. Um, We got that language removed and all those workers will become full-time drivers now, which is what they should have been in the first place because they were doing the same work. We all know in a union, if you're doing the same work, you deserve the same pay. Um, That was a horrible language and we won that one back. And it's very difficult when you're uh, fighting a, a, a company that you've already put language into a contract to remove it. So that was a big, huge gain. Um, another big, huge gain, uh, air conditioning in the vehicles. I mean, you know, it's going to take some time to get them all done, but I believe over the five years of the lifespan of this contract, they have to have at least 30,000 vehicles done right off the bat. And then on top of that, uh, the vehicles and, and those vehicles, of course, will go to the most important areas where you, uh, heat is all year round, like, uh, Las Vegas and Nevada. You have, uh, of course, Texas, Florida, all these states that are super hot. Um, but, uh, the, on the other side of that, trucks that won't be getting it until, you know, as, as they start to retrofit all the vehicles, they'll be retrofitted with heat shields and proper ventilation and fans just to make sure most of the workers are cool until they do finally get that air conditioning. I've been around for quite some time. As you stated, I've been around for 29 years. So I was there when we were just happy to get power steering and automatic vehicles. So I remember that taking close to 10 to 15 years for all those vehicles to be swapped out to get new vehicles. So I expect probably, uh, you know, around the same. Still a big win, a huge win for workers, especially this newer generation. And so it's just great that these workers don't have to endure what many of us had to endure. Um, that's also a big win. Then we can go into the, uh, of course, the, the raises, raises for all workers, part time and full time. Uh, I believe it was a seven fifty, seven dollars and fifty cents in total over the next five years. 
um, with big bumps off the beginning. Uh, many part-timers that were only making $15 an hour are going to be bumped right up uh, about 6 bucks. They're going to be making uh, $21, uh, $21 an hour right off the bat. And then with progressional salaries, I remember when we had the fight for 15, these part-time workers all went to $15 an hour and were stuck there for many years because it wasn't contractual as part of the fight for 15 through the government. So um, I think this is big that they're going to get a $5 jump right off the bat. And on top of that, get another five to six bucks as time goes by. And they have longevity increases now. Workers that are being rewarded for being there longer, uh, people that have been there over 10 years will get a certain amount. Part-timers that have been there over between five and 10 years will also get an amount. Um, so it's a big rate wages increases all across the board. Um, on top of that, we also have um, the elimination of the six day work week. Um, they, well, not this elimination. I should rephrase that. Uh, no longer forced overtime on a six day punch. Um, so there were not in our local, but you know, we show solidarity regardless to what, cause it's a big win for a lot of workers that we're dealing with this where there were working 10, 11, sometimes 12-hour days, six days a week forced on that sixth day to make that overtime. Some workers don't even want it. Uh, I remember during the Sean O'Brien campaign going down to Virginia asking people to vote, and I remember them walking away from me saying, forget that, I'm not voting. They don't do anything for me. And I could see the bruised, battered look on their faces, how exhausted they were. You can tell that this person was working some long hours, too many days. And 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 this person literally said to me, hey, you know, I work six days a week. I have no time for my family. And it was disheartening. And I said, that's why you need to vote, man. That's why you need to vote. And I hope that person did because that's been eliminated. No more workers will be forced to work on a six-day anymore, uh, full-time workers that were out there during that time period. So that's good. Um, there are uh, so many big gains. I could keep going on and on. Just one more or two more things. As far as part-timers go, now they can transfer all over the country. I mean, I just thought when I started this job in 94 or 95 as a part-time preloader, I would just ha would have loved to decide, well, you know what? Maybe this week, you know, this time I want to leave New York and maybe go to, I don't know, Miami or, you know, Texas. Who knows? You know, just just the thought that a part-timer now is not, you know, uh, uh, most part-timers are stuck being in their local can't go. Now you can transfer all over the country was pretty big and now part-timers can actually get time and a half overtime on their days off which is pretty good too also real quick because it has been underplayed a lot 7,500 new full-time jobs created as far as a 22-3 position which are a lot of some kind of combo positions in our job which are really good for part-timers that don't want to go driving that want to make some some extra money which is a is, it's been a, a job implemented sometime in the 90s worked really well so now part-timers can do that and they also have to fill 2200 job 22,000 I'm sorry 22,000 jobs that have not been filled so essentially creating close to 30,000 new full-time jobs that part-timers if they feel they're not making enough money they can step up to the full-time without having to be a driver but those are just some of the wins Right. And, um, you know, uh, people will find out more about those as, as the news continues and, uh, if the contract is, uh, eventually ratified. But uh, two things that stick out are the ending of that 22-4 two-tier system for the drivers where some drivers were making 20 to 25% were making less than others for, as you said, the same job. Um, and then another thing is that the, the part-timers, well, everyone got wages, uh, raises across the war board, the part-timers, got the highest jump. Um, Part-timers started getting different pay at 
UPS in 1982. And since then, the increases have, their pay has basically gotten less and less and less and less. For example, you started in 94 at 950. Um, so did another worker I spoke to who was hired in 2008. So that's what part-timers were facing. They're doing this physical grueling job of usually uh, loading the backs of the trucks. Just talk about why eliminating the 22 fours and pushing forth the plight of the part-timers is such an important part of taking the union back and of a solidarity on the shop floor and in the union. Cause I heard a lot about tensions around those issues. Yeah. I mean, uh, over time, those positions became pretty tough because the 22 four, when it came into, um, into effect in 2018, they were essentially not given a lot of the rights that drivers were. And it was upsetting to them because they didn't understand because they weren't doing what they thought that, you know, they were hired for. The job was created for them to work inside and then come out and alleviate overtime for full-time drivers. But it turned out the job went into play around 2018, but then the pandemic hit. And these drivers never really went inside the building. They were only working as drivers doing driver work, doing pickups. Everything that a driver did, they did. That they were really exploited because they had no overtime protections. A regular, what we call a RPCD, regular package car driver, um, can, uh, can, can go on what we call a nine five list. The nine five list is, um, a list for people that don't want to work excessive overtime. And if they do force them to work excessive overtime, there are seriously some serious monetary penalties. So a driver can essentially get three, three times his, his salary for every time the company violates his nine five rights. And this is a list as a driver that you can go on and come off of depending on whether you're a driver that likes to work overtime or you're a driver that doesn't want the overtime. This wasn't available to the 22-4. That language wasn't there for them. Also, an RPCD, regular package car driver, can actually put in an eight-hour request where the day before, if they need to be out in eight hours the following day, they can put in a request to their steward, which will run it up to the uh, supervisor, and they will uh, get the an eight-hour day for the following day. So they make sure that they have the amount of work in the truck to give this uh, allowed eight-hour day for the driver. Again, 22-4s weren't uh, uh, privy to that. They That wasn't in their language. You know, they couldn't go on the 9-5 list. They couldn't do that. They couldn't even bid on routes. So drivers that are bidding on routes that are available, you know, a lot of uh, uh, locals around the country, when a route goes up for bid, meaning a driver either retired or for whatever reason lost their job, um, that route would now essentially go up for bid and the drivers with the highest seniority would put their name on it to get it. That was not available to them either. So they essentially were, you know, they had questions. They came into this job not knowing all of this. They just thought that they were regular drivers because that's what they were hired to do since they were working there. They never really knew the ins and outs of that particular position. And it, it, it was really bad when you have a driver in front of a steward saying, hey, put me on the 9-5 list or I need a request load or, or you know, um, I'm going to go bid on that route. And this this 22-4 is listening to this and saying, well, I want a request load. I, I want to. I'm sorry. That's not available for you. So it already started creating a divide. You can see the tension just there alone because they want to know why, because they're doing the same work. So that was an issue. Um, and, and the part-time pay has been, like you mentioned, from when I was working, uh, nine fifty an hour in nineteen ninety four was was a not not a uh, an amazing salary, but you know what? It was way it was well above minimum wage, and it, it helped me in my particular in my particular predicament back. In, minimum in wage was three fifty. 
Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it, it should have been around three fifty four bucks somewhere in that category. Um, and I'm making nine fifty. You know, uh, I don't know. Not everybody knows this, but uh, two years prior to me getting a job at UPS, my father had passed away, and my mother was stuck with a mortgage, and she was having some trouble. I was trying to go to college, and you know what? The great thing about getting a union job is that you know if you can't go to college and it's not and it's not something that you can do or it's just not for you, then lucky enough, you can still get a good union job to help you because I was able to make enough money to help my mom. And that's what everybody should be able to do, right? So I'm hoping that this bump helps these part-timers kind of get where some of us at were at back then. And I honestly, I'm not going to sit here and say it's the best. I wish that we would have been able to get them up to 25. I really do. Um, I think that we got to fight harder next time and get even more, but it's not over yet. Uh, the, the members still have to vote to get right. this contract ratified. It's a democratic process. This will go out to all the members. But uh, last I heard that uh, as far as voting on the local levels, all the locals, with the except with the exception of one, did vote to endorse this contract. Um, a lot of people are endorsing this contract. There's 340,000 workers at UPS. Obviously, not everyone is going to be happy, but um, it is the best contract we've seen in, in, in my time, 29 years with the company, best contract I've seen. But then again, I got a lot of crappy contracts to uh, put it up next to, right? Because uh, Hoffa definitely did a lot of concessionary stuff on the way. Give me one second here. All right. Um, we're waiting for... Uh... Antonio Rosario to uh, come back in just a moment to rejoin us. Uh, you are listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. As I was saying, we're uh, speaking with Antonio Rosario, a 29-year uh, Teamster uh, and uh, UPS driver here in New York, a, a member and a organizer with uh, Local 804, uh, one of the more militant uh, locals in the Teamsters Uh Antonio, are you back? Yes, I'm back. Thank you. All right. I apologize. No, no problem. We know you're a busy guy. Um, so uh, can you talk a little bit more about uh, the the rank and file organizing strategy uh, that the union has deployed over the last couple of years? I mean, as you alluded to, uh, the uh, under the leadership of Jimmy Hoffa Jr. for more than 20 years, uh, the union sort of uh, languished, and, and, and you saw a lot of uh, – concessionary contracts uh, negotiated behind closed doors and um, after uh, sort of the Hoffa regime was ousted in the 2021 elections that brought uh, Sean O'Brien and a, uh, and a whole slate of new leaders into power. Um, can you talk about uh, this whole new approach uh, that was uh, uh, utilized here in this uh, campaign? All right. Well, uh, to, to talk about that, I'm going to have to just dive a little bit into the history. Um, so uh, we're talking about uh, a long time rank and file movement that has been pretty powerful uh, going from the past into the future. But um, there were times where there was a decline. Right. there, And th there were times where we were struggling as a as a group. Uh, for example, you know, when we talk about organized crime being in our Teamsters um, and in the uh, 70s and 80s, it was very difficult. Um, there was an organization, a caucus, if you haven't heard of them, called Teamsters for Democratic Union. Um, they started their first uh, reform caucus in 1976, um, joining with a bunch of rank-and-file workers to take on organized crime in our union. And uh, with the help of many Teamster rank-and-file workers, they were able to overcome and in 1991 actually 
got their first democratically elected international president, which was then Ron Carey. Now, in 91, when he became president, it started a huge movement. And in 97 is when I was part of the 1997 UPS strike, which was pretty big. So I came in at a young age uh, at 94, uh, uh, about 23, 20, uh, about 19, 20 years old. And then in, in 97, you know, I was uh, three, two or three years older. And uh, I got to experience this huge strike, which this reform music movement with the help of Teachers for Democratic Union. Why I mentioned this is because when Ron Carey had gotten taken out, um, what uh, around 98, uh, Hoffa had taken over. And then there was another mission at that point, n- nobody really knowing where H- Hoffa stood right off, off the bat. He, you know, we thought he was going to be great for our union. He was the son of the great, you know, Jimmy Hoffa. But after the first five years, you can see that it wasn't that good. Uh, in 1997, we signed probably our first five-year contract on the Ron Carey, but it was because of striking and fighting for good things that we signed something that long. That was actually kind of a concession back then, signing such a, a long contract. Before that, I remember there being three and four-year contracts, never anything that that massive. And it, this was the first contract that I uh, was a part of. Um now moving into now where you mentioned 2021, same kind of thing. You know, it took another, you figure it took them from 76 TDU and a bunch of rank and file workers with the Teamsters almost 20 years to remove, uh, organized crime and get Ron Carey in there. Then when he got, he lost, it took almost another 20, 25 years, but all through that time, uh, many Teamsters and rank and file members were learning and going to these TDU events and conventions and actually learning about how to take on bad supervisors. Uh, grievance handling, these workshops that we weren't at the time really getting from the IBT. So what I, I only say all this to say that in 2021, there was kind of like a match made in heaven where TDU and the and some of the members from the IBT started working together, uh, some of the rank and file workers, uh, along with the Sean O'Brien and Fred Zuckerman, and they, st- they started this coalition um, you call Teamsters United. Teamsters United now was a coalition of all rank and file workers with TDU activists. And it really turned into this great moment of grassroots organizing where we were out there um, just to get the, the campaign going, just to get all the work that we put in. Uh, we had groups that we called road warriors that would go across state lines. Uh, me, myself, I was all the way up and down the East Coast um, going to these barns that were, you know, not they were uh uh we called them hostile territory because a lot of them were half of supporting uh, locals. And we were really fighting hard to get new leadership, as I mentioned, going down to Virginia and speaking to that one worker. Um, but, you know, it took a long time standing movement. And 28, listen, we tried in 2016. We lost. At, at that time, it was Fred Zuckerman. And we tried in 2016 and we lost by 6,000 votes. Could you imagine losing by 6,000 votes? 1.3 million or 1.4 million teamsters, whatever it was at the time. And we lost by 6,000 votes. It was so hurtful. But we knew that, you know, there was an opportunity there. It's the closest we've ever come. And then uh, we knew we were going to come back again. And we knew 2021 was the way to go. And we did. And we went on a, a movement. And then around 2016 into 2018, the straw that broke the camel's back was when we all voted down 97% in favor of turning down a contract. And they rammed it down our throats. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but it was uh, the old archaic two-thirds rule that basically said if two-thirds of the main of the membership doesn't vote, then the leadership can implement this contract. 
And unfortunately, only 80-something thousand workers out of 300 and about 300,000 UPS workers vote, voted, well, 300, almost 340,000 workers voted. And uh, it wasn't enough to get past that two-thirds hump. And they implemented it, and it pissed a lot of people off. It really was the straw that broke the camel's back, and that's when people knew that we needed to change. Sean O'Brien was out there talking about it. He was against it. Fred Zuckerman was already on board since 2016. And then we started to have this movement, and, and it was an agitational moment, right? Let's be real. Everybody was angry about it. It wasn't hard for us to go around talking about, look, this is what they did to us. One of the best things that Sean O'Brien and his team did before they even got elected at the national convention uh, uh, in, in, in Las Vegas is remove the two thirds rule. It was something that was removed before they even got into office. It was huge because now they could never implement the contract on us again, which was a big win. And I, uh, again, I say all this to lead up to how we got where we are now, 2021. That was how we won that victory. It was all the growing pains over those years of fighting. It was TDU activists. It was rank-and-file workers that were tired of it. And it's a, a, just a coalition of workers that were just tired of the BS and were out there really pushing hard to get this new regime elected and get the old the old guard out. And we did. And and not to say that there's not still some old guard there, but these are all people that have reformed. They're all changing because they know that we need to step in a newer direction. Um, at one time, Fred Zuckerman himself and Sean O'Brien were aligned with Hoffa. But, you know, when, you were, when you're beating your head up against the wall because you're constantly being told, no, this is the way we're going to do things, you're like, no, that's it. We're not doing this anymore. Um, and, and it was great to see that we were all able to stand together, put our differences aside, and work towards a common goal and win. And now this is what leads us to where we are today, right? This huge movement where um, we knew there was a contract coming and we were going to fight for it no matter what. And we were going to try to get as much as we could from this company as we can. And, you know, I cannot be prouder of the work that was put into this. The practice pickets, the uh, escalated actions, the rallies. Um, working with other organizations and groups that have been super helpful, like uh, the DSA, other leftist organizations like PSL. Um, there were so many good uh, organizations that came out in support of us. When those supervisors and managers were looking out those windows and those UPS buildings and they saw an army of brown out there with a bunch of community organizations and activists, they didn't just see UPS workers in brown. It was a whole army of people out there chanting, hooting and hollering, letting, letting them know and our customers that came out in support of us. You know, and some of us out there were my families. I was bringing my kids to those practice pickets. Um, and we were letting them know that this is it. We're done. We're done with concessions. The concession stand is closed. You're the one handing over concessions this time. And this is why I say that it's the first time in a long time that we took back instead of giving back. And it took, and, and I know that was long winded, but I just wanted you to understand like how, why and how long it took to get where we're at. It wasn't easy. And we still got a ways to go. This is just the beginning. Like I said, we didn't get everything we wanted, but I know that this is a huge stepping stone. This is a huge victory um and we could only go up from here because we were already at the bottom so we just got a huge great contract we'll see with the members uh decide to vote either way you know that's where we're going to go and if you want to know a little bit about the process i can speak about that next yeah well we do we do want to hear about the ratification process um maybe i'll just uh you know our time is running short Sorry. so 
No, it's okay. Don't apologize. I think all of our listeners are extremely happy and overjoyed to have just learned what they did from that oral history. So don't apologize. I'll, I'll tell people if you're okay with it, that there's, uh, that each local, the, the stewards and the organizers at each local are going around from building to building and hitting every shift, every, every worker, every steward, every steward having parking lot meetings and going over the contract. Telling them what it is. Here's a one pager. Here's a link to the 40 page full document you can see marked up and people are going to be voting from the third to the 22nd. Um, and that's really, you know, also just interesting. Like all of this is about interfacing. Now I know you said that the straw that broke the camel's back was the 2018 contract that the workers didn't vote for. It sounds like this cherry on top, shall I say, was working through the pandemic and not getting any hazard pay and working through that time when everyone was calculating how long a virus stayed on a cardboard box. And I know you lost coworkers and I know coworkers lost family. And so I just want to mention that, but I want to show And, And that was at a time when UPS's profits and revenues were reaching all time heights. So much more deliveries were being made by the workers and the UPS was raking in billions of profits and then handing them out as stock uh, buybacks to their investors. Um, so that's uh, some of the context here, too. Absolutely. Thank you, John, for chiming in. But I, we're going to go to a clip here in our last few minutes, because last night, the New York City Democratic Socialist of America hosted a strike power town hall where worker organizers from Barbarantino's, the first ever unionized standalone pizza shop, who we're going to hear from, um, Starbucks Worker United's. UAW, SAG-AFTRA, WGA, NISNA, all talked about their current battles, how to improve your union, how to organize, things like this. So we're going to go to a clip now, and we're going to hear first from Alex Dinworth with Barbara and Chinos that just unionized, and then Michelle Gonzalez with NISNA. About a year and a half ago, my restaurant had a catastrophic leak. Um, we have a, a bathroom pipe in our basement that exploded during all those crazy floods last year. And there was all kinds of sewage and bathroom waste downstairs in our basement. The owners refused to stop service and it was a catastrophic flood. Employees put trash bags on just like the pandemic and they went in and they cleaned up the entire mess. And the bosses said no. The bosses said, you close and you can't leave until 11 and those workers walked off the phone job. Because when we fight, we win. 
right. So the most recent verse we heard, a voice we heard was Michelle Gonzalez with New York State uh, Nurses Association. And before that, it was Alex Denworth with, a, I, I'm not sure if it's Barbara and Chino's Workers. I'm not sure what the name of their union is, to be honest. Um, but yeah, Antonio, just respond to what it's like to be a part of this greater movement now. And then, um, you know, uh, if you could sort of just finish off by talking about where this momentum that was built in the Teamsters, particularly my UPS workers, is going, right? And might it impact Amazon? Yeah, excellent questions. I mean, so you you guys know this campaign uh, created a, a, an enormous amount of energy, right? Um, it's like, where does that energy go now? Like, is it over? So we still have to vote on it. Uh, like you mentioned, it'll be voted on hopefully by the 22nd. We'll actually know where we're at. Um, I feel like, uh, there's a lot of positivity around this. So it most likely will go through. And the point is the energy has to go right on through and into Amazon and talking to those workers. And when you speak about what Michelle spoke out, she's a nurse. And she's done so much work and she's, I was listening to her and she got me inspired too. It's like, it's happening. You feel it everywhere, right? Starbucks workers were speaking at that event. Uh, the, the, the folks from the pizzeria that just organized, I mean, they really had me excited. Um, you know, uh, uh, Brandon from the UAW was there with, uh, with, from the uh, UAWD caucus. I mean, it was just, you, you know, that we're in a moment in time right now where, uh, people are, are just done. People are frustrated. Uh, you mentioned it, John. I mean, the CEOs and the shareholders are lining their pockets. There's nothing but buybacks there. They're completely exploiting the workers in this country. People are just so tired and fed up. And you can only run a horse so hard until you run into the ground. And we're done. We're not running into the ground. We're going to fight back. People are fighting back. People are standing up for their rights. Workers are standing up all over, whether it be Amazon workers, Starbucks workers, Trader Joe workers, Chipotle workers, pizzeria workers. I mean, I heard that there was a Waffle House, that there was a, a walkout at a Waffle House. Like yeah. in South Carolina, no less. Yeah, yeah. So people are standing up and it, and it's time. And I say we take this energy and this momentum and continue to build up it. You know, it's, it's old school one on one grassroots conversations, everybody working together to fight for more and showing some real solidarity, right? Solidarity with one another. Did you, uh, I forgot to mention the, the WGA and the Sabatra. I mean, I'm like, I'm getting excited. I'm sorry. Because I think about this moment in time and it's like, you only, uh, I was 20 something years old the last time I was on strike and I didn't hear nothing about striking anywhere for years later. Um, I think sometime around 2012, I heard about the Chicago nurses and they were like out there in the streets and it was insane. Um, but, but it's like, it hasn't been it's so far and few in between, but here we are in 2023 and it's like back to back people are striking. A friend of mine while we're on this call just sent me a message that some folks in the sugar factories out out west uh i, I don't know if it's in montana or Ohio, uh, idaho they're going to be striking against a sugar factory um it's just like so much is going on we just got to continue to build off this energy build off this momentum and really engage our workers all over and and, and continue to f- make sure that everybody understands we got to fight for more these people aren't going to give us anything we have to continue to build this and i always tell everybody the the, the working class is at war right now and the only way to fight them is by building an army of organizers prepared to inoculate agitate and make sure we get workers on board and continue to fight this together 
Right. Well, Antonio Rosario, 29-year UPS worker and worker organizer with uh, Teamsters Local 804. Thank you so much for joining us. It was great to have you. Um, we will be checking in with Tony again at some point, uh, hopefully. And uh, just for listeners, uh, if you are wanting to start a union at your workplace and you don't know how to do that or what to do that, you can go to workerorganizing.org, which is literally what the Barber and Chino's workers did, and they won. So go to workerorganizing.org. And if you are in a union and you feel that it needs to be revitalized, I think labor notes might be a good place to get some information. Just Absolutely. look up. Absolutely. 